Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Icarus Boreality with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers, and welcome to the expanse of deep, open-minded conversation that is Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane Jones, inviting you to join me for today's fascinating discussion, diving deep into the universe of metaphysics. From space travel to stargates, this man is venturing into groundbreaking research, one step at a time, becoming the master of reality. But before we get into this fascinating conversation today, we got to do news and updates and front of house, of course. So uh, for anybody that's not already aware, I am running a promotion on the Open Minds Media merch store. If you use code SQUATCHMAS, you will get 10% off from now until the end of December. And uh, I got two new designs on there, one for inquiries, one for bizarre encounters. And I also have a new Christmas Squatch slash alien design. So definitely worth going and checking out. Make sure you guys use that promo code and scoop it before Christmas, of course. And uh, I'm also still taking questions for Bizarre Inquiries for anybody that might be interested in dropping a question for that. Uh, that is going to be going on forever, of course. So uh, as long as we're running that show, keep uh, giving us some questions for us to discuss. Uh, it can be something serious. It can be something funny. If you guys want to hear us discuss it, then shoot me a message on Instagram or email me and let me know. And uh, if we pick your question, of course, we'll give you a shout out on the show before we get it up and rolling. And uh, the first two episodes of that will more than likely probably get uploaded onto the normal feeds. But after that, it will become my Patreon exclusive. So make sure you guys, uh, if you guys enjoy it, become a Patreon member. And moving into front of house, of course. If you guys aren't already following the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or Discord, highly recommend that you do. Go follow the show and join all the groups across social media. Uh, continuously trying to build up the Discord. So if you haven't hopped in there already, please do hop in there. Please uh, start up a conversation. Uh, give me some suggestions as far as what you guys would like to see for the Discord. But I want to put focus on that and make sure that that keeps expanding and that I form a community over there. I got a lot of uh, really awesome active members over there, and I want to make sure that I get more awesome active members included over in the Discord. And if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some, some way, shape, or form, make sure you guys get a hold of me. You guys can do so through email, which is increaseourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. Or you guys can hit me up on social media. I am the most active on Instagram, but you guys can definitely go and shoot me a message on Facebook also. 
And if you guys have a have an encounter to report, whether it's something big, something small, alien, cryptid, UFO, paranormal, any of that cool stuff, I would absolutely love to hear about it. So make sure that you guys report your encounters to OMM Encounter Reports at Outlook.com. Or you guys know the link tree, and there's also a submission form for that. But I'd love to be able to collect some of your guys' stories. So even if you got something small, don't don't be afraid to shoot me a message. Let me know all about it because I would absolutely love to hear about it. And if you guys aren't already checking out my other show, Bizarre Encounters, highly recommend that you do. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that's more of the deep dive show, or this is more of the open-minded conversation show. So if you guys love hearing about random, t- random bizarre encounters and topics, and you guys like deep dives and jokes, definitely worth going and checking out. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do, all in one place, you guys can always go and check out Open Minds Media across social media. And uh, if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. You guys can become a Patreon member. Over there, you'll get things such as ad-free episodes of the show, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, exclusive giveaways, and there will be obviously the Patreon exclusive content such as bizarre inquiries. Uh, a lot of cool stuff going on over there. Always happy to take suggestions if there's more things that you guys would like to see as far as the Patreon goes, but go and become a member, of course, and support a podcast all in one swift move. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly to make it so I can get out to more conventions and be able to meet more of you guys, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate, make sure you guys let me know that you guys donated if it doesn't give you some type of option for a personalized message so that I can give you guys a shout out and give appreciation where appreciations do, as I always say. And the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media Merch Store. Always expanding with new designs over there. There is... There should hopefully be, if it's not already up, some new designs that are going to dropping for Bizarre Encounters and Inquiries of All Reality on top of the uh, Squatch Mist design. And soon enough, as soon as uh, Bizarre Inquiries gets up and rolling, there will be the Bizarre Inquiries logo design available over there too. And if you guys pick up something from the Open Minds Media merch store, don't forget to use that promo code SQUATCHMIS, or you guys can become Patreon members, get some even bigger exclusive merch store discounts. Highly recommend, of course, doing both. And uh, number four, you guys can support the show through word of mouth or by leaving a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review, I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out, of course. And uh, while we're talking about supporting creators, don't forget to go and check out Joe at Crypto Theology, always expanding with his awesome cryptid-related merch designs. I know for Christmas, he's got a bunch of different uh, Christmas and holiday designs up, so definitely go and pick yourself up some awesome shirts to be able to wear at your family functions that you guys are going to be going to this holiday. And to all of my paranormal investigators out there, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. I do have an affiliate link for that, but I still highly recommend it regardless. It's one of my favorite paranormal investigating devices that I've used so far, and uh, it's created by Dimension Devices. So if you guys have any questions about the device whatsoever, go and hit up Barry over there on Instagram with uh, Dimension Devices, and he is the programmer for the Chattergeist, so he can answer literally any possible questions that you guys would have on it. And of course, like I said, don't forget to go and use my affiliate link if you want to scoop one up for yourself. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, researcher and self-taught metaphysician, Mark Fiorentino. How is it going today? Fine, thank you. It's good to be here, Shane. Absolute pleasure having you on. I uh, heard you recently on another podcaster's episode, and 
it was it was a fantastic interview. I loved hearing everything that you had to say. So I figured I'd uh, have you come on the show and kind of explain some of your different theories and all the interesting things that you do. Sure, that'd be great. Um, basically, um, I wrote a book called The Master of Reality, and it was it started out just to be a retirement project, and uh, the second day of my retirement, or actually the first day, it was. January 2nd, around 2016, I believe, I started writing my book. Uh, you know, I had worked the previous week, and then now I'm off on retirement, and I start the book, and it took four long years to write it. Uh, and basically, it's about the theory of super relativity, which is an extension of Einstein's theory of special and general relativity. Uh, so I just extended those out. So not saying there's anything wrong with either one. They're just not complete. There was things left to solve, and uh, especially where gravity was concerned. And so I wrote the book, uh, placing my ideas in, and I wrote a research paper um, shortly after that complements the book and basically gives a full explanation for the root cause, the central cause of gravity. Mechanically speaking, I, I worked out, including the math, uh, a description of how gravity works, you know, what the origin is. And um, that was a very important discovery. Mm -hmm. And um, then I, I decided I needed to go a little bit deeper and after the book, uh, I started my work on things that Einstein hadn't finished. And one of those things was the cause of particle motion, which I realized was important if you wanted to complete the unified field theory. And when I did realize that, I said, I got to figure out how particles move. Nobody knows that. Uh, they, they, uh, it's called kinematics, you know, in science, they use kinematics, which is basically, we acknowledge that particles move, but we're not going to talk about how they do it. So all the theories, including special relativity is kinematics based because nobody knows. And, and, and furthermore, they, at this point, they don't want to discuss it because they have quantum mechanics basically says particles don't have positions particles don't have velocities it's all just statistics and probabilities well i like einstein i'm not buying that i'm not going to accept it uh it's it's just incomplete as einstein said and it's just really a dead end in physics as far as i'm concerned so i went about the task and did just recently work out the formulas for how particles move, and, and it was a big surprise. So I'm writing that paper now, and I'll upload that. So you might want to come to my website and just register there so I can send you a newsletter when I'm done and the paper's up on ResearchGate. You're not going to want to miss this because it's humongous news. Along with the discovery particle motion, um, which... I did research. I said, wait a minute, if I thought of this idea, Einstein must have thought of it. And I went through all his unified field theory papers looking for any mention of him trying to figure out particle motion. And I did. In his unified field theory uh, 
paper based on Riemann metrics and distance parallelism in the year 1930, he writes in the last two sentences, nevertheless, I'm still far away from claiming I got balloons going up. <laughs> That's what, what I was that? about to say. Where'd that come from? <laughs> <laughs> where did I, where? <laughs> I think you discovered something funny. on Riverside I didn't know about. Maybe you make a certain hand gesture and that happens. Like <laughs> That was weird. Uh, was I've never seen this. that happen see before. If it goes back again. <laughs> that was uniquely strange. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get back to it. That was a, a great distraction there, but. I did find in that paper that he wrote in 1930, in the last two sentences, nevertheless, I'm still far away from claiming the physical validity of the equations I derive. The reason for that is that I did not succeed in deriving equations of motion for particles yet. He figured it out too. It's important to know that because it drives the entire universe. If particles don't move, the universe goes totally black. You don't see or sense or feel or know anything. Time would stop. It would be nothing but blackness. Photons have to travel across space so that we can see them. The quarks inside of neutrons and protons have to be spinning around in order to generate its mass. That's in my theory. That's explained. Um, electrons have to move to do the work to create magnetic fields and to drive electronic circuitry. It's all about motion of particles, and physicists needed to figure that out. Since nobody else has attempted it, I went and I did that work, and that's now going to be in the paper I did. Along with that, I discovered a, two new forces, uh, gravity 2 and anti-gravity. And uh, this paper will also explain how they work mechanically at the basic fundamental level of reality it will all be in that paper uh it's, it's so far it's 50 pages long and it's kind of overwhelming even physicists kind of choke on papers longer than 18 or 20 <laughs> so i'm gonna have to figure out a way to cut it down maybe make it into two or three papers i don't know but it's a lot of work and and every day in my lab i'm finding new breakthroughs as i did today as a matter of fact i would love to give you the details but if i do you know there's patent things that are i'm going to give away or, or, or theoretical things that i don't want to let slip out yet so i need to quickly write this paper finish my uh, experimentations so not only now do i have the math to back up what i'm saying now i have an experimental proof that's a one-two punch. It's a knockout punch. And I intend to let that fly pretty soon. So that's where I'm at right now with the book and the theory and so forth, pushing forward. I haven't stopped uh, doing work and researching until I had all of the problems solved with the unified field theory. These were the last two. I had to include anti-gravity, which Einstein never really gave much thought to or nobody in that area, that period of time, 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, was not seriously considered. Uh, but I knew if you're going to discover the unified field theory, you had to include anti-gravity. 
because it's real and exists. Obviously, we got all these UFOs, UAPs flying around. Who's going to tell them that anti-gravity doesn't exist? <laughs> because guess what? They're using it. And we have to figure out how and why. I mean, not how, but why it works. And, and we have to know that knowledge. Uh, so that's what I worked on. I wanted to understand it at the basic fundamental level so that even children and your grandma can understand it. So when I write the explanation, it's going to be covering it from all angles and, and with some repetition. That's kind of my style because I want to make sure you get it. Everybody gets it clearly. There's no misunderstanding in my writing. Well, what I say, that's what I mean, and that's the way it is. So that's what I'm be working on in the next several months. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, there's other things in the book that uh, we could talk about. One of the things that I have been keeping an eye on lately as well on the side is uh, there's a lot of volcanic activity uh, happening. Uh, two to three new volcanoes just emerged. Iceland is in uh, serious trouble. They've got some volcano that's about to erupt. Uh, they're, they're issuing warnings now. There's huge cracks opening up all over the island. Something big is going to happen there. Also in Italy, that super volcano near Naples is becoming active, and they're very concerned about that erupting. There's a lot of volcanic and earthquake activity going on, and I'm concerned that the crust is going to crack to the point where one or more plates are going to become almost free-floating. And so there will be a lot of rocking and, and such. And I believe this is happening because of one of the discoveries I made uh, concerning my theory of super relativity, the cosmology model. In that model, I discovered how stars and planets are created. And it's through um, a Big Bang process, but what comes out of the Big Bang is neutron plasma, uh, which is made from neutronium. So the Big Bang, the cosmic egg, was solid neutronium that's crushed to the point where there's a black hole, a huge one, one so large that it's, it's like millions of light years across. When that erupted and released all this neutronium, which turned the neutron gas turned into a plasma within 15 minutes all those neutrons flipped uh, decayed into protons and electrons which science knows is hydrogen so the universe could start rebuilding itself because it's in in the uh, super relativity theory the universe is cyclic it, it blows up expands condenses into black holes everywhere. Those condense gather into super black holes that I call titan-sized black holes, and those come back together again and form the big one. At that point, there's enough mass and enough pressure in the center because of all this mass being crushed down uh, and compacted that the next cycle begins. But it requires all of this massive compaction to create that, that threshold event that causes the outward expansion because of the great, tremendous heat that's going on in the center of the black hole. 
when it all comes back out again and these clouds of hydrogen, these massive clouds of hydrogen come out, also neutronium spheres come out, what we would call neutron stars in all different sizes from maybe golf ball size to basketball to planet size to stellar size to sizes so large that they gather huge amounts of uh, stars around them or neutronium spheres and all of these spheres go through the hydrogen gas gather the gas and create new stars so what i'm saying is that inside of the star our sun is a neutronium rapidly spinning neutronium sphere it gathered the hydrogen gas into its atmosphere it's so strong with its gravitational pull it contracted that gas to the point where it started the fusion process and the star was born all stars are that way and so that's the the big uh, revelation in my book that's how stars form not only that but that's how planets form and uh recently one of our uh, telescopes in outer space i think it was the hubble photographed a new star system and you could see the star in the middle and there's there it's in this cloud of hydrogen and it's all lit up but close to the star it's 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 darkened because it sucked all of the hydrogen into it and it's swirling around and all the planet the brown dwarf mini stars or planets have also streaks around in the gas where they're sucking pulling the gas in they're spinning and then they're forming into their own little brown dwarfs which eventually cool down and become planets. So that's the state of uh, the theory, basically compacted very tightly for you to understand that the Earth, inside the Earth, I believe that there is a neutronium sphere. And it's rapidly spinning. That's where the Earth gets its spin from because of the frame-dragging technique that's created. The mass around that rapidly spinning black hole is... Um, neutron star in this case is influencing the mass that has been compressed fused into all the elements that's why we have all the elements right here on earth they were made inside the core and through volcanic activity and such have risen to the surface as silicon iron gold platinum they're all being manufactured right here in the core then that makes sense because a planet needs all the elements in order to have any chance at all of developing life. You just can't do it on an iron core planet with nothing else. It's got to have all the elements. So our father figured out a way of developing a system that's perfect, that works for everywhere across the universe. Each planet develops its own elements. It has them all right there. They don't have to fall from outer space like the current theory says well how did we get gold here and how did we get water well they, they fell out from meteors and uh, and uh, uh, comets and stuff what are the odds of all the elements coming in uh, eventually and uh, our oceans got filled from comets it's a nonsense theory the theory is that I have is basically all the water came out of the volcanoes from the volcanic action 
hundreds of millions of years ago, the gases were formed, generated, pushed up from hydrogen that compressed into helium, that compressed into carbon, that compressed into nitrogen, all built, funneled up, cooled, and then, you know, eventually we had oceans. Um, it's a simpler, more sensible theory. And the problem we have now is that what I see is happening is the core, uh, the neutronium core is a little bit too large for the crust thickness that we have on this planet. So what we have is what you can see at the, at the USGS sites and the geological surveys and stuff, we have a planet that's cracked. You can see all the fault lines running all... If you think that's a normal and healthy planet, think again. We accept that as normal and healthy because that's all we ever know. This is all there is. We've always had this problem with the tectonic plates moving around and earthquakes occurring and volcanoes. But now they're on the rise. And you can see the graph that I, I have that um, I got from the USGS site. There's a steady rise over the last 100 years for new volcano, active, new active volcanoes. Clearly, there's some concern there, and they on their site say, don't worry about it. It's not that bad. We made this other graph where it's almost flat, and, and we filtered the data so that they could get a flat line versus the actual, which is climbing rapidly. I'm very concerned that there's an instability here, and, and there's not, you know, there's not anything we could do about it in our earthly technology. But I, I do believe that the aliens have technologies that, if it were become critical, they could they could fix it uh, because they have capabilities of manipulating matter in such a way. That they could actually, their spacecraft can uh, have been known to fly through the planet. Somehow they can displace matter and in some way just go through the planet and come out the other side. Uh, I've spoken to people who claim to, that they can do this. And more than one person has claimed it. So with that possibility, that tells me they have enough technology that they could get to the core extract some of the neutronium, remove it in some way, or convert it to hydrogen, but then we got other problems if we do that in too great an amount in the core, the pressure will build. So it's not it's a tricky business. But right now I'm keeping an eye on the volcanic activity uh, and the earthquake activity to to hope and pray that it settles down. Uh, we don't want super volcanoes erupting. I don't know how much you're familiar with that uh, scenario. Uh, what happens in that? Or, or do you know anything about? Yeah, it that can destroy scenario? almost like half a continent. If uh, well, maybe even more than that, and then they would kick up such a plume of uh, gases and different things up into the air that everybody would end up suffocating around it, even if they weren't anywhere near the blast. Well, yeah. Uh, the, the worst thing is the cloud that goes up, the ash cloud, is so large, and it, the closer it is to the equator, the worse it is. So you want them in the higher latitudes if you're going to have them. But uh, the one that we're, we're at, or the one I'm concerned at right now, 
is at a latitude that's somewhat equal to the one, the supervolcano that's in California, which is also stirring now, and they're concerned about that one. Um, so now we have two supervolcanoes that are becoming active. And um, if that ash plume goes, if it really, it has to really uh, explode in a great fashion. They have smaller eruptions, which aren't that bad. If, it, you know, a volcano size eruption is not too bad. But if the full caldera collapses, which is in that case around seven miles wide, you're going to have a huge plume that goes up. That causes a volcanic winter that could last many years. So now you have a, a new ice age, which could drop the temperatures on Earth four degrees centigrade, which would be a deep ice age. If it just dropped one degree, we would get back to where we were back in the 30s and 40s, uh, which we would have severe winters again in the North American continent. The um, the poles, the glaciers would expand back to that era. That's not so bad. We can live with that. But two degree drop, now we have a serious ice age on our hand, a mini ice age. Anything more than that, and there's going to be mass starvation and, and such to worry about because the our belt where we you know, grow most of our food is going to be under ice. So only the, you know, the equator and the subtropics are going to be be places where we can grow food in that period. So again, I'm praying that this, these volcanoes calm down. Uh, they have before, they have gotten close, some of them, and then calm down again. But in each case, the earth is literally coming up and in some cases, like in, at the Naples area, it's growing by a half an inch in just a few months. That's worrisome. The, the ground is starting to spew sulfuric um, uh, gases into the air and, and steam and such. That means that the magma is probably a mile or so deep and, and rising still. Uh, it gets too far and there's a breach that volcano is going to erupt and they're going to have to evacuate about 500,000 people minimum that's a very densely packed area it's unfortunately the, unfortunate that they build uh, so much in that area because right. it's a very unstable area so that's something I'm watching and praying is stays calm so folks might want to Check out some of the websites to talk about the volcanoes. And I, I just check the news to see what's going on in Iceland. And, and uh, I have reports come in every day. So I, I get a report on what's going on, the most recent earthquakes and news. I think it's interesting that if you go to the geological websites in the U.S. and look for how many earthquakes are in there, it's not showing any. They're filtering it somehow that they're cutting off all the little ones. There should be, you know, there's, they're having hundreds of earthquakes a day there and it's not showing up on the charts, which is a little frustrating to me because I want to know what's going on in those areas and I should be getting that data, but it's filtered out. I don't know if that's, in, I got to believe it's intentional. I wonder if it's just not to scare civilians. So like maybe you just, 
their whole intention is if it's below a certain amount, they yeah, just don't want to don't want to scare people. Know, if it were to be in the news too much, it would be there would be hoarding and 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 such going on. Um, so I guess that's all I will say about that subject because it's it's just a concern that there's really not much we could do about it other than evacuate and stay clear of that area and pray. I mean, theoretically, if both of them went off at the same time, like how, how low how, how low is the temperature for the last ice age, like in comparison, so that people kind of get an idea of like what we could theoretically be dealing with? Well, the mini ice age, I think, was two degrees. I think it worked out to be around two degrees centigrade average. I'm talking the average Earth temperature worldwide dropped two degrees. Anything more than that, it's going to be pretty severe ice age. Uh, I think we've increased in temperature one degree centigrade from the 40s and 50s to where we are now. And I, I got to tell you, climate change is definitely happening. I'm just not sure the reason they think it's happening is the real reason. Uh, but it's definitely happening. I don't know that it is actually man-made or not. It could be. But it could also be something else that's going on. Uh, another type of problem that's man-made, which is basically my personal theory is, based on the little bit of research I've done, we're overbuilding and we're cutting down too many forests. And so the temperature is rising because, you know, we're making more roads. We're, there's, a, you know, all this new blacktop, all this new city. Cities are always warmer than the surrounding countryside. Those buildings just emit a massive amount of heat, uh, reflect, uh, not only conventional heat, convective, excuse me, convective heat, but also radiant. It's pushing a lot back up into the atmosphere. So a lot of expansion of uh, and destroying forests and so forth are working, in my opinion, more than the greenhouse gas theory. Uh, there's some flaws in that theory, I, I think, that need to be addressed and looked at. So I think by cutting down the CO2 and stuff, it's probably not going to help us. The way we need to do things is stop the the massive expansion of of humanity and, and all its stripping of uh, forests and the land and, and uh, building bigger and bigger cities all over the world. Um, good luck stopping that, by the way. Um, don't see that happening either, but it's going to get fixed in a hurry if we do have a big enough eruption or enough little ones going off, putting their plumes up there. And I mean, that's eventually going to block out enough sunlight that all it takes is about a 2% drop in uh, radiant energy coming in to create a degree drop in the average uh, global temperature, which will, again, that won't hurt us too much. That'll put us back into the 1930s, 1940 time frame, extremely cold, snowy winters up north in the United States, as well as in the, you know Europe and so forth. But we could live with that. We, we have lived with that. Uh, if it gets much worse than that, it's going to be really hard on everybody 
Is there any uh, theoretical human technology that may be able to counteract this, or is it strictly something that you think would be more like extraterrestrial technology? Well, there is, in my book, I talk about something called a stellar converter. And, and what the stellar converter does is it basically uses the anti-gravity technology that I'm working on. And the way we could use it, or aliens could use it, uh, it goes down, it's cylindrical, and it emits a huge magnetic field. So from the North Pole and the South Pole, they go down and they make contact with the neutronium core surface. And as soon as that magnetic field touches it, a beam of neutron particles will be emitted from the surface of that thing and shoot into outer space. Well, that's fine for, you know, neutron stars and black holes, but we couldn't really use that technology as we could build it here because we can't drill to the core to get to the neutronium sphere, which, by the way, nobody in science believes in yet. I have a feeling they're going to come around one of these days <laughs> um, to to extract enough of the neutronium from the sphere to calm down the fusion process, let the core cool some. Because it's at like 5,000 degrees uh, centigrade, I think. And um, <laughs> what drill is going to withstand that go, going through the magma layer we can't even get to the magma layer. You know, our drill bits and the rock turns to like this plastic because of the pressure and the heat. It will never make it to get the coils down there to touch it to draw off uh, the neutronium um, spheres uh, material, which, by the way, no scientists believe in at this point. <laughs> so it's, it would be really hard for mankind, even if we believed it, knew it for sure, and wanted to do something about it. We don't have any technology that could go to the area we need to go, which is the absolute center of the Earth, to draw off the neutronium. Aliens, on the other hand, have some technology that they can pass right through all that solid material and come out the other side. So that tells me they can manipulate matter in such a way as they can get an apparatus down into that area, engage the, the anti-gravity field at the surface of the neutronium sphere, and then eject some of the neutrons off of the neutronium sphere and shrink it some. Then we have the problem, well, where is all that spare neutronium plasma going to go. It's going to build up massive pressure. It just could backfire if you don't know what you're doing. So that's got to be vented. And we'll notice that because it'll be coming out of the cores, uh, out of the poles. And uh, that would have to be a cover-up because we're going to notice that. And then if they do enough, like 5 or 10% reduction in the size of that rapidly spinning sphere... Um, the Earth will be slightly lighter. The gravitational field will drop some. People are going to notice that, too. I mean, <laughs> that's going to be a hard one to say, hey, what happened here? How come we just lost 2 or 3% of the mass? Um, 
I think they could do it, and I think they're aware of it. Just my intuition, my feeling. Have I talked to the aliens? No. Uh, have I ever seen an alien personally? No. Uh, but um, just in talking to other people who have those claims and seem reasonable and sensible, uh, I, th- I have heard that they are aware of the problem and um, they're working on a solution. So let's hope that's true. Let's hope that's real. Um, because there's nothing us humans can do about it. The only technology I know is the one that's in my book, but it has to physically get to the core and we have no way of getting that technology to the core so it's not much we humans could do about it i've had a theory on how ufos function as far as being able to go through inanimate objects and just coming from somebody that does a little bit more research into this i'd love to kind of hear your input on it um but my my kind of idea with it is that i've talked to a lot of people who have had close encounters with ships and they say that they they vibrate to the point where like they burn you if you end up touching them on the outside of the ship so my kind of theory on it is that they theoretically found a way to be able to vibrate the particles different than in this reality so that basically it's just all the particles are passing through each other rather than colliding with each other but coming from somebody that does this kind of research, does that seem like something that might theoretically be possible if you that break it down to that microscopic like a, level? That seems like a reasonable idea that somehow they get the ship particles to cooperate in such a way that they actually move out of the way of the matter and such they're passing through and, and create gaps. You know, to me... To, to think about it in the limited human mind capacity that we have, imagining all these particles cooperating in such a way, in, you know, some high frequency or whatever, uh, to allow this to happen and become, you know, what's a good word? Translucent or <laughs> plasma-like, or, or but still hold its structure and integrity uh, is mind-boggling. But it, what you're saying sounds reasonable to me, that it, it must be something like that, or perhaps even a higher methodology is used, one where there, let's face it, the, the universe was God-created, uh, and it's all interconnected. Uh, so, the universe itself, all the particles, all the matter, all the energy, is a part of a God consciousness. And in perhaps these higher technologies are capable of connecting to that, that God consciousness in the particles that they want to manipulate and cause them to move out of the way or pass through each other without collision without resistance um, that I think is even more likely it may have to do with this higher frequency of vibration maybe that's how it's mechanically accomplished uh, but it's got to be something like that it's not just hard metal and rock you know going through hard rock without something uh, I don't want to use the word magical but uh, something happening at the basic atomic and subatomic level that allows these two objects to slip 
through each other in some way. So what you're saying sounds reasonable to me. It's something like that. Um, I've been working on problems not that difficult, more more, (laughs) uh, just trying to get the fundamentals down rather than trying to figure out how to pass through solid matter. Uh, If we could just get to other star systems by building spaceships that can go beyond the speed of light, which I talk about in my book, we're going to meet civilizations that could help with those kind of problems. They can give us some technology, but I would imagine right now the aliens, the ETs that are visiting here and maybe working with our our government aren't going to really give us any of the really good stuff because we're on unstable species. We are emotionally unstable. We're, we can't be trusted. We are corrupt through and through. Our governments are corrupt. Our big corporations are corrupt. There's so much problem there that they know about, well, we're going to have to get these guys, us, all of us, spiritually uplifted before we can, you know, share in all that technology because we want to make sure that we don't give them technology that could get them to our planet with nuclear missiles. Um you know, that's got to be on their mind. They don't want that because we could do a lot. We could get a lucky few shots in and destroy whole cities on their planet or worse. So they got to be aware of that. And I'm sure they are. And, and so maybe limiting the technology uh, that they're giving us. And we may be and probably have reverse engineered some of the basic anti-grab technology and so forth, which is, by the way, our nation's top secret. There is nothing more important than keeping anti-gravity technology as well as zero-point energy uh, power-generating technology secret. Uh, I I know for sure that the military industrial complex has worked very hard at keeping that technology down as well. Unfortunate, because it's turned out that mankind is mankind's worst enemy. It's not aliens. It's not wild animals. It's not (laughs) sharks or lions. It's us on us. We've been killing us more than anybody else in, in, in the world. And if we could just get our act together and become spiritually higher consciousness, then we're going to progress rapidly because we'll get more contact. We'll be able to um, have contact on a one-to-one basis, you know, with aliens and and so forth. And uh, not all this secrecy, not all this suppression and Apparently, the aliens are in on it to some degree, too. I mean, staying out of contact because they could land in New York City, Central Park, or what, and they're not. Uh, occasionally, they do some remote location away from everybody, but in general, they're not coming down in all the major cities and, and saying hi. They're, they're staying away as well for some very good reasons, I'm sure. 
So we're we're at the th- threshold. I think we're getting close. If we could just get our act together, I think we have a great chance at seeing a whole new world, a wondrous world where there's miracles and cures for disease and all these great things that we want to have happen. We just got to get our acts together. Say, assumably, too, even with this type of technology, it may not just necessarily be just uh, the consciousness of the human race necessarily lifting, but I feel like there would have to be something semi-physical, too, because in order to operate uh, like a, a anti-gravity machine um assumably like the standard human form wouldn't necessarily be able to handle that unless there's another piece of technology that's counteracting it so that maybe stuff inside the ship isn't actually being affected by what's going on outside the ship but uh you're talking about inertial leakage yep you know what that yeah that's deadly in my book i talk about the slip wave that was slip wave 1.0 Slipwave 2.0 is about to come out in this new paper. In both versions, uh, that problem is solved. Uh, When you're inside of this special field that's created in a certain way, I won't go into any more detail on that uh, until the paper comes out. When you're inside of that field, you're free from inertial drag or resistance in other words this field is like in your own your own realm now it's like you're sitting perfectly still doesn't matter how fast that craft is moving in any direction you don't feel a thing it could accelerate from zero to ten thousand miles an hour in three seconds which would kill you if you were in a jet plane and you did that or a rocket But when you're inside of this and it goes from zero to 10,000 miles per hour, you'd be looking out the window and you'd be getting dizzy, but you would not feel any press back in your chair because that field isolates you from the ether, the space. It's another, ether is another word for space. Um, And so you don't have that inertial drag. And that's what would kill you. So you could operate the ship with joysticks or whatever. Most of these alien craft, I think, use a mental interface because they, they've got that technology down. They're hundreds of thousands of years ahead of us. And they've learned to read the patterns in your brain and so forth and think. So they steer the ship by thinking. And... Um, I don't even think but, the human brain can think that fast because, I mean, if you're moving that fast through very, time and space, you could just very, hit a meteor and it could go straight through the ship, theoretically, right? If, you, if you're not going through the direct, correct path, like you wouldn't be able to perceive it that fast. Um, you know, if you, they have displays and stuff and the, certain areas become transparent so they can see. So, yeah, you might not be able to detect with uh, your mind and eyes an oncoming meteor that's, you know, moving 70,000 miles per hour. But you can bet that the ship, it's the hand motion that's doing this. (laughs) I think it must be an Apple thing because I haven't seen it happen before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I just updated my software for this PC 
It must be part of, you know, they think they know better what you want. I don't want a little guy with his thumb up over here, you know. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> Got to figure out the balloons. What does this do? <laughs> oh, there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got to write to Apple and tell them to stop that. That's nonsense. Um, <laughs> unless I can use it to my advantage somehow, you know, give myself a thumbs up. Double you know, thumbs up. Double thumbs up. Oh, there he goes. It gives you fireworks with a double thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is something new. I'll tell you that. I'll have to be very careful my hand signs from now on. Um, Now I've lost a complete train of thought there. Um, We were talking about uh, being able to travel through space with with like theoretical rocks being able to go through the ship if you weren't. That's... Yeah, the Lorenz transformations. I don't know if you're familiar with those in special relativity. Uh, I don't think I am. For anybody that may not Uh, be familiar, too, as far as the listeners go, if you don't mind reiterating on a little bit. Yeah, they're basically certain things happen as you go faster and faster as you accelerate through space. Not only do you have inertia, but, but there's contraction of space. As you get toward the speed of light, your ship will contract right that's called length contraction Fitzgerald Lorenz Fitzgerald length contraction uh, your ship's mass increases toward infinity uh, all of these things are bad <laughs> if you're in the spaceship and you're not in the slip wave so the slip wave field around you pulls space apart until it's super thin the permittivity and the permeability drop oh Better be watching that. Uh, more, more, more. Wonder what the double, what the double net, what the double thumbs down would do. Because it give you fireworks yeah, for thumbs flames. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get flames. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that uh, is a good thing if you want to break the light speed barrier. So it's important that this special field of force that is inside of your ship and just outside it for maybe a few feet or so, uh, can handle all this situation so those things don't happen. And also, time dilation doesn't really happen. What happens is, when you're in the slip wave, time goes ever so slightly faster than normal clocks. Now, you would think going beyond the speed of light, once you're in the slip wave, permittivity and permeability drop. Why is that important? Because we have already discovered that those two properties of space affect the maximum speed of light. Uh, it, they affect how fast the elect- any electromagnetic object can move through space, like the photon. C equals 1 over the square root of permittivity times permeability. That was discovered by Maxwell. We know that's true. So if we drop those two down to zero, C goes up to infinity. So the slip wave handles that. So the stronger the field, the lower permittivity and permeability drop, the faster the ship can fly, and there's no inertial issues. There's no contraction of length. There's no compression. There is no increase in mass. Time 
goes just ever so slightly faster as if you were moving, not moving at all, actually. If we were to go out into outer space with an atomic clock and we were to make our ship decelerate to zero velocity versus relative to the absolutely motionless ether, our clocks would run a little bit faster than what they're running on Earth or what they're running on Jupiter or what they're running close to the sun. Uh, that's not a bad, bad thing. Uh, we would age a little bit faster, but I mean, it's a minuscule. So we can break the light speed barrier using this technology that I describe in my book and I will describe in my next paper. And we can go as fast as we want. All we have to do is turn up the intensity of this field. And so we won't have the problems that you're worried about with, you know, getting crushed uh, with inertial. And, and then we see that the aliens don't have any problem. They can make a right turn at two or 3,000 miles an hour in the atmosphere and nobody's hurt at all. I know it's hard to imagine that happening inside of any moving object because our experience is you feel the inertial pull when it happens. So it's hard to imagine that you could be in something that can move like that and it doesn't happen. But that's exactly how they work. Kind of bouncing back into my theory that I was saying about the different vibration of the particles so that it would make it so that it, there is no tension or drag on it. Could that theoretically also kind of work for possibly explaining how they're able to travel at different at light speed, essentially, is because there's no drag if their particles are vibrating at a point where there's nothing actually hitting them. They're like almost existing almost in like a different reality while being in this reality. Because, I mean, you see, like, the different weird things with UFOs, too, where they'll become more, they'll be more solid, and then you'll see, like, a tail off where they'll become a little bit more translucent, and then they'll fly off in different directions. And I'm kind of curious if that's possibly, again, just a matter of, like, displacement of particles to at a microscopic level that it's all the same. It would all exist in the same area, except they found a way to be able to displace all of these things individually so that now it can look like three different translucent ships, but that's just because it's all the same particles from one ship, but now displaced into three different areas. Well, according to Bob Lazar, who's an interesting fella, that I'm up in the air whether I, I, I believe him or not, I will tell you his story and his descriptions make sense. And they follow, actually, my theory quite well. What he's saying about gravity emitters and stuff really seems to be correct, according to my theory. But his background is such that it's a little bit flaky and un unsure. So, But setting that aside, uh, according to what he said, which I believe is correct, there's a field, the slipway field forms a cardioid shape around the craft. So if you're standing underneath it, it's invisible because the, the, the gravitational field is, the anti-gravitational field is so strong, it actually bends light around the, the craft. So being uh, physically invisible, no problem with the anti-gravity craft that's using high magnetics. I'm not sure, so sure. I think it will work with electrogravitic models as well. 
and there's a lot of talk that they can make themselves easily invisible by cranking up the field to the point where light just kind of bends around the ship and it looks like there's nothing there. So I think to a large degree that explains a lot of the the fading in and outs and stuff. But we also have to realize that these guys have gone beyond my uh, theory of space travel. Mine is a what I call a very um, entry-level technology. The first technology that they people develop in the universe when they go interstellar. They also have Stargate technology, interdimensional travel, which also causes, you know, when you go to the next dimension, you, you just sort of, usually you'll see a green mist or something appear and then phew, they're gone. Uh, these are way ahead of us. <laughs> and there is some vibrational things going on when you do that. Uh, magnetic resonant fields and, and so it kind of follows along what you're saying. I think in order to use that technology, yeah, there is super high-frequency uh, electromagnetic pulses emanating from these craft and so forth that literally cause a portal to open up. And so you get this fading out and you're gone kind of a thing. That's a whole nother technology. Not as up to speed on that one as I am on the basic, I'm building a starship so that we can get to other planets which is basically my main focus. But, I, I, you know, I believe that technology is, is used as much as the technology I'm talking about. Mine can get you to from point A to point B in record-breaking time. You want to go to a star that's 4.2 light years away? The speed of light is not anywhere near fast enough. It'll still take you one way 4.2 years. That's not acceptable. You want to be able to get to that planet in 15 to 20 minutes or less. And so if you want to do that, you're going to have to break the light speed barrier by 20 or 30,000 times. Now, that's really moving fast. Otherwise, the only other way to do it is interdimensional, which is probably even more efficient and probably safer as well. I say it seems like it might theoretically be an easier method to figure out as far as like how to open up a Stargate versus actually be able to travel at such high speeds. Um, and I'd love to get into some of your portal theory stuff because I, I've had my own kind of theories that I've been digging around with. But it seems like it all ha- it's all interconnecting. But I'd like to kind of start with your theories and then I can kind of throw you in some of my theories that I've been thinking about as far yeah. as like natural Stargates and portals. Well... I got into Stargates. I wasn't even going to write about that. But about a year before I completed my book, I had to go. (laughs) Oh, people are going to love this. I had to go to a medium. Now, oh, he believes in medium? There are some mediums that actually are very good uh, and real. It takes one and then you get it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. When you get one that really is good, they will give you evidence quickly that you really are that they really are talking to the other side and so that's something people here on earth could use to gain uh, knowledge gain uh, wisdom 
uh, because if you're talking to the other side, you're basically talking to God consciousness because they're all interconnected there. And I've read enough about near-death experiencers and, and seen so many and testimonies and stuff. I know for sure there's a God. I know for sure there's another side. I know for sure there are guardian angels. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, waste any time wondering about it. They presented evidence to me over, and I could go two hours telling you about the evidence that I have that proves that they exist, that there is uh, a universe that was... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's created by God and so forth. So, I went to this meeting because I had this weird thing happen in my house. I'm going to skip over all the weird details, but I was frightened and I, I didn't go about, you know, really about the book and ask about any of that stuff. I went to see that if I had contracted this very serious disease or not. I wanted the health department to give me the shot. They wouldn't. Uh, I thought I'd been exposed. And, and so I said, the only thing left I can do is find a good medium and they'll just tell me, yeah, you got it. You need to go for the shot or not. So I did that. I found a good one back in the hometown I used to live many years ago and she rapidly was able to convince me by the message she was giving me through my parents uh, from my parents that she was talking to the other side and she answered my question and said no you don't have it you're not gonna you know you're not gonna die and then as a sideline I just asked about the book and then things got really weird because once I asked that question, she went, you know, they said the other side wants to channel through me. And when they did, it's like I'm getting all these messages, how important the book is, the discoveries are made are real and true, so forth. You've got it right. So I, I'm, I'm shocked. Now I'm in, you know, like busy trying to, what? <laughs> this was a hobby. <laughs> It's kind of funny uh, listening to your theories too. It seems like they're on path with a lot of what other people are thinking. Like, I think this is almost like a group method that we're all kind of collectively kind of getting towards, but it seems like you kind of have a different understanding than like I would have coming at it. Cause I'm looking at it more from a, I guess like a theoretical standpoint, cause I'm not as scientifically minded as you yourself, but you need people like you, for example, that actually know how to create these functions and not just theorize how these functions work. So definitely some, some very serious, important work. Yeah. And, um, I'm doing it because I'm firmly believe and know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I was really sent and I'm meant to do this. So I'm happy about it. I says, Hey, I'm doing work, obviously, that God wants me to do, and I'm at peace with it. I'm happy. I said, I'm happy to do this help because it's going to help humanity to have this knowledge and information. So 
I'm a-okay with all that. Um, uh, but while we were going through this thing, the medium gave me some information. He says, the other side wants you to talk about Stargates. And I'm saying, but I don't really know anything about Stargates. <laughs> I, I don't even have the most basic knowledge of this. So I says, I'll do it. But I, all I know is this, whatever this technology is, it has to accelerate energy beyond the speed of light coming out of the gate frame or, or the framework or something because that's the way you've got to vibrate space to the point where it opens a portal take it to a higher frequency i, I knew that for sure and uh, she says well they were already doing this uh united states has got this uh, they're doing time travel and all this stuff and so i says okay and she she gave me um a term she said they use fractal lenses i have no idea what that is i never heard of that and i know a lot about physics i read a lot so i started doing searches and sure enough i found some research papers that use the word fractal lens in them and then i looked at what they were doing the research and they claimed that if you shine light into this material it's a metamaterial now we're into ufo world again because ufos tend to be made from metamaterials um, if you shine light into it it accelerates that light to inf infinitely fast and i know the only way to do that is that within the metamaterial they have found a way to tune the material to drop permittivity and permeability so I keep reading, and sure enough, that's what they claim. And so uh, they're claiming the group velocity of light within this is infinitely fast. And I says, perfect. That's going to go in the framework of the Stargate. So they already have this material, and they're making it for other applications. And the guys on ResearchGate have no idea about Stargates. And, you know, you can ask them, they say, what the hell are you talking about? But... I bet you the U.S. government needs this material and is using it. Because once you f fire beams of light into it, when they come out, that light photon is compressed to a ultra-high frequency. Just what you need when you shine that into an area, maybe using sound as well at high frequencies, you get molecules and everything vibrating at ultra high frequencies you could tune space just like you tune a radio and you can tune it to different times and and different portal openings in different areas of the universe uh by using this technology and controlling the vibration rates uh i imagine that's how they work uh I haven't personally seen one, but I know you better be able to accelerate energy to well beyond the speed of light to get high frequencies high enough to open these portals. And that's all it is. That's what it takes to do this. Now, in the past, the government stumbled over uh, these Stargate technology when they were working with the Philadelphia experiment. And that 
great calamity. Well, they were using magnetic resonant fields there of vibration again, right? Of, of high amounts of magnetic energy stored in the field. And um, so it's kind of what you're saying. There is some vibration thing going on here in certain frequencies. Um, you're you're going to get... Um, Oh, what's the term? There's a frequency spectrum term. I can't think of it right now. Um, you got the fundamental, and then up the sides, you got the harmonics. Uh, it's certain you might generate certain harmonics that create an opening, uh, and that's as far as into it as I can really get technically. But it's kind of agreeing what you're saying. There's some kind of vibration going going on high frequencies or whatever that creates these openings and access to other realms and and so that's my personal take on it uh theoretically speaking how i imagine that it would be done and how it has been done here i'm glad that you brought up the multiple terms that you did for this because Kind of in a roundabout way, I'll kind of explain how I got into my research on it. And again, it's a lot more basic of a concept. But um, so I started kind of digging into some of the weird disappearances that have happened in Kentucky near a lot of the caves. And it seems like one thing that I noticed that was semi-regular about it was the fact that it usually there was like missing people with the whole missing 411 cases, usually after there was some type of like seismic activity. So then I started diving a little bit more into it and noticed that a lot of these uh, portal areas... Uh, seem to be places where at some point there was volcanic activity and it caused magnetic volcanic stone. And when you mix that with seismic activity, where you now have this vibrating magnetic ring, then because essentially like the tunnels would be creating rings, uh, then you combine that with, you know, the frequency of it vibrating and then a pitch coming towards it. It seems like that would theoretically be how these things would open and a lot of the time when you started digging into a lot of like the UFOs that are seen around caves, it usually seems like they're coming out. So kind of my theory on it was that these are the natural stargates because you have these combinations of these things that will occur naturally. And when I was listening to you on another show, you were talking about how uh, you thought you could figure out how to theoretically open one, but you didn't know exactly where it might lead to. So part of the reason why I had I kind of wanted to have you on in the show in the first place was that I was kind of thinking that theoretically you could create a Stargate as a main entry point and then you might use one of these natural areas to be the exit point and also combining with what you're saying I think it's also a matter of combining a certain pitch with a certain frequency and when those get in tune with each other then that's how you pick the destination of which you're going to go um, and I don't know if necessarily you only would be able to go through these if there was seismic activity happening or if maybe the seismic activity happens because of something on the other end opening these portals. And when you have, the again, the missing 411 cases that seem to happen in a lot of these areas, um, they could just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it may not be that there's natural uh, seismic activity, but rather that there is something that's using that portal at the time and they just end up getting being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But then I started digging into it a little bit more past Kentucky, and it seemed to be that like the Lake Michigan Triangle uh, kind of has the same generic setup, and so does the Bermuda Triangle. And I also noticed that there's this combination, too, with certain types of material that seem to be able to hold energy, like Kentucky, for example, with all the quartz. It seems like there also needs to be something that's able to like hold on and displace the energy that's 
created from these things being opened, or maybe you need that energy in order to have it open in the first place. But again, kind of in a roundabout way, uh, this is what I'd been diving into for a while. And then I heard you on another show and it seemed like you were kind of along the same lines as me, just again, with a little bit more advanced uh, logical explanation of why it's happening. Uh, But again, like I was kind of saying in the beginning, it seems like multiple people are kind of getting somewhat to the same point at the same time. And it's just a matter of people figuring out how to put it into practical use at this point now. Yeah, well, they've done something similar to what you're saying with the Montauk project. That's sort of supposedly connected to the Philadelphia experiment. So there was some interdimensional or or cross-time connection between that experiment, which is another magnetic resonant type of experiment, which I believe, which I've heard, they've abandoned that technology in favor of the uh, uh, technology I was talking about with the light particle beams being shown into the fractal lenses. Uh, That technology is much more powerful. The magnetic resonant technology is more of a local thing. Uh, Small jumps in time, small jumps in space distance or whatever may be restricted to within the solar system and not beyond that uh so it, it's i would love tomorrow who wouldn't want to love to see one of those working in action and then have somebody kind of a explain well we do this frequency here it's really quite simple you know this frequency range allows time shifts and time jumping in this frequency range uh, and modulating somehow the, the frequency will give you uh, destination points or uh, at different points on the globe or on other planets. I mean, wouldn't it be much easier just to walk through a portal and be on Mars in you know less than a second? <laughs> I mean, if there was ever a major disaster, I feel like that's almost only the vi- the only viable option to really be able to save mass groups of people. Because if you're trying to load everybody onto a ship, you also have the matter of the people that are in control of certain things, trying to charge per seat, selecting who's going to be able to do it. But if you just had some type of Stargate technology, then everybody would be able to pass through and live. And it wouldn't matter, you know, because th- it's not a matter of filling up seats at that point. It's, it's an inst- instantaneous process of it happening. So the only way to theoretically be able to save the human race even if we did create some type of you know faster than light traveling method uh i feel like you'd still want the backup plan of having stargates just for the sake of being able to get off the planet in in an instant without any load time i would agree and 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 it has been my concern i'm well aware that this planet can become unlivable within a matter of a few hours or days if enough bad things happen at the same time, uh, a meteor strike, you know, if we got hit by a meteor that's four or five miles in size, it's going to kill pretty much everything, uh, right down to roaches and everything, just, you know, mass extinctions. Uh, anything larger than that is going to kill everything, including bacteria and viruses. There won't be anything left. Uh, the best way to avoid a punch is not be there when it happens and and so i'm i feel a little bit of stress that maybe maybe this technology needs to come about 
So we do have a, uh, we bilocate basically that we start, uh, we get an agreement on some other planet that's can support our life form. If there's advanced beings there, you know, we say, Hey, you can come live in our planet. Some of your people. And if you let us establish a few locations, over here, you know, and we have some kind of thing set up and we can send a few million people there just in case there's a catastrophe here. And we need to do this on more than one planet. So if we have to offload, you know, they have places to go and we have infrastructure set up and so forth just in case. But right now we're completely vulnerable. And uh, unless we bring this interstellar technology forward we're at risk of extinction and it could happen at any time so I, I do feel an obligation to try to bring this forward and warn these guys that are keeping this technology secret you're, in, you're putting at risk everyone including yourselves because if you just have a little small fleet of uh, smaller craft that can only fit maybe a few hundred people or whatever that's you know is that going to be enough to save humanity if there's a major crisis everybody's going to be gone there might not be enough people going to another planet to support our race so I do feel an obligation to try to bring this technology forward so there's a lot of starships you know literally in the millions built and a lot of them built so that they can transport uh, several thousand people I mean, <laughs> some of these alien crap those big triangular ones they're immense I would bet you you could fit 10 or 20 thousand people in one of those things Easily. they're huge <laughs> and, and um, you have enough of those you could pull off, uh, you know, a Noah's Ark thing here uh, with the whole population or most of it anyway. Um, we're always going to be at risk. And this planet is tectonically unstable. I, I got to tell you, it worries me a lot, probably more than it's good. <laughs> uh, but it motivates me as well to say you, you, you got to push forward and help you know we may have a few hundred years or a few thousand before something really bad happens or it could happen tomorrow i don't know who knows nobody knows uh but i'm the kind of person that likes to be prepared i guess you would call me a prepper <laughs> um and i want to do it at the large scale so i don't know i, I mean there's a lot to what you say huh I, I wouldn't disagree with the fundamental principles of higher frequency vibrations somehow have playing an important role in interdimensional travel and time travel. I know a lot of people bring up the whole concept of orbs when it comes to portals. Um, maybe a matter of condensing yourself down to be able to travel through these things physically. Because when you talk about things like the Philadelphia experiment, you had the issue where everybody ended up fusing into the ship. Um, so like my question going forward, as far as like portal creation goes, I mean, maybe the, the government and these secret programs already have it worked out considering that happened back in, when was that? The 1930s, 1940s. 
Um, I think it was mid forties. It was close to the end of World War Two. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was yeah forties or so. Forty four somewhere in there. So like eighty years later, they might actually have it worked out at this point. But like my kind of theory on it is: Would you have to travel through this thing by yourself and not with anything else? Would you have to travel through it with a vessel that counteracts that ability, or would it be a matter of again? A physical change to humans as a whole where you'd be able to condense yourself in order to be able to travel through these things because like i said a lot of people have theories as far as like why you see the orbs when it comes to you know the paranormal uh certain cryptids ufos aliens and stuff and they wonder if it's a matter of them just condensing themselves down to theoretically be able to travel through these portals yeah orbs i'm i i really have the opinion that orbs are just uh, spirit beings uh, they could be, could have something to do with interdimensional beings or some sort, but um, I believe the consciousness, when it's out of the body, definitely can show up as an orb and, at times. And what that orb is made of is unknown to me. Uh, unknown to anybody you know what what are people made of in the afterlife uh, i think it's got something to do with some sort of god consciousness and i don't know that it's material at all uh, i'm not sure that orbs are material objects they're just like like a shadow on the wall uh, is that really something it's just a shadow on the wall but we see it we perceive it um Orbs are, are kind of maybe more real than we are. And I, I think that otherworldly state of being when you're out of your body and you're back home again on the other side, that's the real reality. And this is some sort of a, a matrix thing that people like to say except it's god controlled it's not alien controlled it's not a program running uh it's from the consciousness of god that created this universe as well as all the others and so we're living in this physical reality that has these certain laws of physics it's like this one guy uh, father rick wendell had in near-death experience was talking with i think it might have been god in the afterlife or some some high uh, level being and the being tells him he says all of this three-dimensional world is within god there is nothing outside of god everything within this physical universe has to correspond to laws and god set those laws they are immutable as god is immutable none of this what we see in experience is an accident it is intentioned by god so if you want to get into all the quantum mechanics and all the interconnectedness that's how it's done by the supreme being and so we need to all be aware of that and raise our consciousness levels by knowing that for sure because that's important knowledge so it's not something i just believe in anymore I consider that knowledge now, and I, you know, there's no not accepting that as the truth. It makes sense. It has to be. Um, otherwise, the only explanation for the universe is somehow everything popped out of nothing. 
you know, I don't really see that happening. You know, you can't make something from nothing. There has to be some sort of origin, uh, something that could that exists, a supreme being that can make whatever it intentions and brings it into reality, and that becomes reality for the objects and beings that are living in that realm. It's not just, we're not just living in one universe. This universe is just one of many. Uh, I I was uh, became aware of another person who had a near-death experience, and this person went out of body, and he literally took himself, you know, went through all the star systems and everything and went right out of the universe, our universe, which is a huge object. And his consciousness is floating and looking down at the little orb of light that this universe is. And he looks around and he sees other orbs at great distances from each other. But in this frame of reference, they didn't look that far apart. They went on for infinity. I believe that's true. And people certainly in quantum mechanics realms are really getting on to the infinite universe theory. Uh, so it's it's something that more and more people are, seem to be thinking is true. And I and it makes sense. It makes sense to me that God just wouldn't create just one planet with life on it. And I would create many planets with life on it. And this uh, nobody really questions that there's life out in the universe. Of course there is. It's statistically impossible for it not to be when there are trillions and trillions of stars. So if God can make one star, he can make many stars. If he can make one galaxy, he can make many galaxies. And we have evidence that's true. Nobody doubts that. Uh, we have plenty of photographs of other galaxies. So if God can make one universe, why can't God make two, three, ten, a million, a billion, a trillion? There's no limit. Um, that's the big reality. That's where your mind starts to spin in a circle when you're in this limited form in this body when everything is linear and, and and compacted and localized but when you start to try to think about the infinite uh, the eternal it's, it's mind-boggling but that's apparently the real reality and you can leave your body someday we're all going to die and we're going to leave and we're going to know that for sure because we'll reconnect to the infinite consciousness is incredibly powerful when you're not in the body so that's the bigger picture that now you know I'm aware of and I just have to learn to get comfortable with it and accept it and I hope other people will learn that too uh, there's not just one right religion any religion that talks about love and joining together and uh, being patient and pa compassionate and so forth, that, that's a way, a pathway to God. And, and so 
you know, I don't believe in just one. Really, I, I'm a practicing Catholic, but that, that's just one of many ways, one of many pathways to having a personal experience with God, which is ultimately the best way to obtain knowledge, which I call acquiring knowledge in infusion process, what other people would call channeling or something of that nature, uh, which I believe all the great masters, Einstein and Darwin and uh, Newton and Maxwell, Lorenz and all these guys, to some degree, we use our creative imagination to obtain knowledge and to obtain theories and stuff. And that's divinely inspired to some degree. When we learn to listen, we listen carefully, trust our inner voice, we can have access to great knowledge. And that's what I've tried to do over the years. I just surrender and say, this is what I'm working on. I think about it. I let them know maybe I have dreams that help. And I have had some dreams with messages and such. And I just go with it. And I don't fight it. It's not about me, the individual. It's about me trying to connect and have this personal relationship with God, Jesus, and so forth on the other side. It's important for all of us to try and do that and to learn God's number one commandment. I don't want to get too religious on you here, but important since really science is underneath religion, and I know scientists would hate that idea, but science comes from religion or from, from a, a source, a God source. And there's just one single commandment. If we could follow this, we'd have world peace. We'd, technology would explode. Uh, our, we'd be going to other plants. It would be a great paradise here. One commandment. Follow this one commandment for man, and it's this. Love one another. It's just that simple. If you do that, you're not stealing, you're not lying, you're not killing, you're not cheating, you're not doing any, you're not breaking any of the other commandments because you love the people around you and you would never do that to somebody you love. It's just the one. It's all we got to get right and everything else works. Ain't that the truth? Because I mean, the more time people spend fighting with each other, the less time that they're actually understanding the bigger universe and even the micro universe realistically, because everybody's too busy warring with each other rather than actually trying to figure out plausible methods on how to get yourself out of situations. Cause some stuff is again, beyond this world to the point where it's like, if you need to leave this planet. What are you going to do? And I mean, even figuring out just the whole matter of being able to travel through dimensions. I mean, it seems like it's not necessarily something that just goes parallel. It seems like it's something that goes macro and something that goes micro and something that I've been digging into a lot lately that I find fascinating is this kind of this whole concept of like negative dimensions and my kind of theory and part of what, have I, of what I've been digging into as far as these like negative dimensions go. It seems like a lot more than what we realize may actually be linked to like a negative dimension because when you have weird experiences with like orbs, UFOs, different things like that, where you have power drain, it seems like that's more of something that's intaking. 
So I'm kind of wondering lately if a lot of these things are actually going into like negative dimensions and that might actually be the easiest method in which to, again, team up and actually get ourselves out of these situations instead of trying to get to somewhere that is way beyond our method of understanding. We can almost go into like a negative area and then from there, um, you know, you wouldn't have anything that's cause and effect from like the outside reality. So it's just, again, a different, different kind of method to wrap your head around other than just the concept of like parallel realities. But, um, assumably that would be something that would continuously go on forever though, just like the same way parallel dimensions would go. So there's like a reality inside a reality inside a reality compressing inward. And I mean, maybe theoretically we are in a negative reality and that's why everything seems to get power drained out is maybe because we're the negative, we're the vacuum and we're actually looking at it from a different perspective because we don't have a means to be able to compare it with anything else because we've always theoretically lived in a negative dimension. And maybe that's why things get, again, sucked out. It seems like, again, when you get power drain, uh, when you have things go through portals, it seems like everything kind of goes inward towards it. It's maybe because we're actually the vacuum. Well. It, in physics, it's known that negative charge, electrons, always move toward the positive pole. So it's kind of in agreement somewhat with what you're saying. It's it's all relative, though, I guess. I mean, who's negative, who's positive? Uh, the whole, that whole issue is, oh, yeah. get into that subject. That's, we even had that wrong in physics. We still have it wrong. Uh, and I talk about it in my book that we got the polarities wrong in for magnets and electrostatic fields. If you go on the internet and you look at um, fields of charge, you got the lines of force going in one pole and come and, and going uh, going out one pole and coming in the other. Right? Well. When I was doing research in my lab, the, the measurements I was making were saying the opposite was true for these poles. So I said, oh, you know, I'm shaking my head because the drawings say that the lines of force are coming out of the North Pole and going into the South Pole. So I would expect anti-gravity to be on the North Pole side and gravity on the other side. And I was seeing the reverse. So I'm saying, oh, something's wrong. This can't be. And so I decided I would, I said, wait a minute. They must have made a mistake somewhere in time. So I went back and I looked for it. I went all the way back to Edison. And the first guy who decided that positive charge, the current was coming out of there and going to negative. And he guessed wrong. And for the next 150 years or so, we based all our math and all our theories on the wrong direction for current flow. So clockwise and counterclockwise is backwards for the charges. The directions <laughs> for the lines of force are reversed. So I had to go through and reverse all of that in my head and on paper so I could say, well, now the measurements I've seen make sense. They got it wrong. And I have factual evidence that they admit they got it wrong and just didn't want to bother going back through the books and changing it. They call it conventional current flow. And in some of the newer books, they have electron flow, the right flow, the tr 
true flow of current and energy. And so if you use that, then all the rules, the right-hand rule, everything reverses. And, and then it makes sense. And it's an only important if you're searching for gravity and anti-gravity, which nobody is except for, for me at this point. I was going to say, if there's secret government programs, maybe they've been aware that it's backwards the whole time. And the intention behind it was that they didn't want civilian scientists figuring this stuff out. So they kind of kept that knowledge themselves and had everybody working on a backwards concept. It's worse than that. The government fully approves all research grants for quantum uh, mechanics theories and even more so for string theory. The government wants mainstream physicists working in those areas because they're not going to find the discoveries in field theory that are concerned with anti-gravity and so forth. They're working on that stuff. They've got their ladder on the wrong building trying to climb to the top to, to find the discoveries. They're not even on the right building. And as long as, they, especially string theory, we got our best physicist working his whole life on that. You might as well just throw it into the ocean. It's like, because it's a waste to have Witten working on string theory, an imagined theory with no way to prove, no evidence at all that it's anywhere near correct. Uh, a whole lifetime with one of our most brilliant physicists just piddled away on a theory that's never going to pan out and and but you could get grants they'll put you you'll give it right away you tell them you want to work classical field theory you want to work on what Einstein was working on they won't give you a dime your professors will say no no I'm not going to sponsor that uh, the the all the rage is quantum mechanics and string theory and um government's all for those researchers and because they know it's a dead end both of those theories and um, we're not going to make any major breakthroughs it doesn't matter if they find new particles uh, with using collisions it's not a big deal Uh, who cares if you smack this particle and that particle and you create like the Higgs boson the thing doesn't live long enough to even make it to the detector. It's less than a trillionth, if it even exists at all, less than a trillionth of a second. It's survival time. How can that really interact with anything and make a difference anywhere? Uh, and they granted and, and gave Nobel Prizes on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge waste of money, effort, and time. No not putting down the the brilliant scientists who came up with the theory and everything, but it's not helping our cause at all. It's not helping the advancement of mankind. It's just keeping us in like a little whirlpool. It's just ever slowly, surely dragging us down a hole, a rabbit hole. And um, the real action has always been where people like Maxwell and Newton and Einstein and Lorenz, these guys work with differential equations 
and field theory using a medium that is continuous, which is what space is. And that's where all the action is. That's where all the discoveries are going to be made. That's the ones I've got coming up. They're there. And these equations are not mind-boggling like the string theory and quantum mechanics <laughs> equations. They're so convoluted and complex. And they use a lot of tuning parameters, although I, I, I use a tuning parameter too and coupling parameters. But so did Newton. What do you think the gravitational constant came from? He needed a number to put into the equations to make the right answer come out. And he played with it until he got it down. And then they were actually able to measure for that in, in his time. And it helped him guess the right number, which he just picked a number in between the two, the highest measurement and the lowest measurement. He said, We'll just use the number in the middle. (laughs) How do you think the speed of light got to be a constant? Do you know they were having problems with it? Back in the 30s and the 40s, they kept measuring it. And every few years that they measured it, it was going slower. This created a crisis amongst the physicists. They started getting ticked off. Says, we got to lock this in. Einstein says it's a constant Yet every time we measure it, it's going slower over time. We and sometimes we use all the same equipment, haven't moved it, left it there, started it up a couple of years later, and we measure it. Now, damn it, it's slower. Now I explain why that's happening. It's all understandable within my theory. But uh, a guy named Raymond Burge, who was the head of the atomic constants back in that time, says, "Okay, that." enough I'm picking a number he picked a number which had to do with a number very close to what Maxwell said that's the speed of light and from that day forward scientists instead of taking a meter and timing it and seeing how long it took to fly across that meter and calling that the speed of light they stopped doing that because even though they use the same meter and whatever, it appears that that it was t- taking longer and longer to cross that meter, which I won't get into all the math and all that, but it makes sense in my theory what's happening. Um, and so he just picked a number, and he says, that's it. And from now on, if you don't get that number, you adjust your equipment to get it. And more and more, and by the time 1970s came around, that became the standard. When you set up to make light speed measure, you're not measuring lights, you're measuring the meter and you're adjusting the length to give you that number. So now, all of a sudden, the speed of light isn't slowing down anymore. Because nobody will accept that as a possibility. So if it is, we're never going to see it because we're just going to adjust the equipment and sure enough, What's going to happen over the centuries is the meter is going to get shorter and shorter because it's the only way to make it stay at that number. In reality, we're missing something very important. The speed of light is slowing down. And I can tell you why. It's slowing down because the planet Earth, (laughs) the galaxy, 
is moving at about 630,000 miles per hour, a little over a million kilometers per hour, heading toward something called the Great Attractor, which just happens to be what I call a Titan-sized black hole. And it's accelerating. And our galactic group is all moving toward that. And so what does that mean? It means that the gravitational field between that object and us is growing ever stronger. So as we get closer, the gravitational field is getting stronger. And what does that mean to clocks and time? It means that time is slowing down. The closer you get to a gravitational, stronger gravitational field, the slower clocks go, the slower the speed of light. So it makes perfect sense. The speed of light is slowing down. It's literally a countdown timer. When the speed of light hits zero, when we're in the labs, you know, several billion years from now, trying to still measure the speed of light, and instead of the meter being this long, it's this long, we say, hmm, something ain't right here. (laughs) I wonder what's going on. (laughs) How did the meter go from here to here? We, we, we've screwed up. We've missed something very important. We're falling into a black hole. And not only is we're heading toward that, but there's even a bigger black hole that the great attractor is being sucked into, and we're whirling into that as well. So it makes perfect sense. The speed of light is slowing down, according to my theory. There's an understandable, rock-solid, we-know-what's-happening reason for it. But scientists don't want to talk about that. They don't even want to consider that as a possibility. They'll just argue, argue away, just make up excuses. But there's astronomers that know that this has happened. They made the measurements. And they're out on the Internet trying to, you know, put an end to the expanding universe theory. If the whole universe is expanding and all the galaxies are moving away from each other, why is the several hundred in our group actually moving closer together? Why are we just the exception? And why do we see these other galactic groups kind of moving in odd directions, not just away from us, but going sideways and even some coming toward us a little bit? What's with that? That's not an expanding universe. They're all falling toward huge black holes. They're accelerating. The acceleration that we've detected, the whole Hubble theory there, is because of gravity, not because of some mysterious uh, dark energy that nobody can detect. Nobody has proven existed. And there's not even a real experiment for it right now to detect it. It's because it's not there. Good old-fashioned gravity is a cause of all the galaxies accelerating one way or another. A well-known, well-established force. And the evidence is out there. But then the astronomers argue with each other. The traditionalists want to go with Hubble and the expanding universe theory, although that model continues to fall apart the more we measure uh, what's going on in, in the distant galaxies and so forth, the more we see that that Hubble constant is is kind of a a joke. 
and you have to cherry pick the measurements you make to get that that little formula work out right and uh, so we got we got a lot of problems in science and physics that really need to be looked at um, more deeply and analyzed and it's too much for me to do by myself <laughs> I was going to ask too. Um, I don't know. I just thought about this. That might be a little bit of a side note, but uh, while you're explaining that, uh, when everything gets to that point where it ends up condensing into a black hole, um, kind of going into somewhat of that negative universe theory, uh, do you think it's probable that maybe it's a continuous thing that there's infinite macro realities and everything slowly condenses into into these into this, these black holes. And then once it condenses into the black hole, then it now becomes like a negative dimension. And in turn, by then maybe all of the different like physics, like the mathematic principles for everything might change at that point. But then again, there might be a new constant at that point because then it has a stationary reality until it moves to the black hole that's within that reality. Like it's almost like a continuous thing of it just continuously always condensing itself, but it's not necessarily getting destroyed when it goes into a black hole. Like a lot of people like to presume. Well, I, I, there's a lot of misconceptions where black holes are concerned. There's a lot of, misunderstanding and it, it happens because of the equations the solutions the Schwarzschild solutions so forth break down at the event horizon and infinities show up and whenever you have infinities in equations that's not good that means you've got something wrong and They'll do things normalizing to try to fix it and eliminate it, but infinities are a sure sign that you you haven't taken something into consideration that's happening that you don't uh, aren't aware of. In my theory, black holes aren't really singularity where there's an infinite mass. If a black hole were truly an infinite mass, and the gravitational field was infinitely strong. Wrong, it would suck the whole universe in, and that doesn't happen. There's a finite amount of mass, and there's a finite amount of gravitational force being emitted from these things. What I believe that, I, I more than believe, what I'm, I know for sure black holes are, are not holes that go, you know, like there's a lot of theories that go where the black hole shrinks into this, you know, infinitesimally small point and becomes a white hole and everything is shooting out somewhere else in another universe or whatever. Uh, that's completely wrong. What I believe is, is, is what is happening is is a black hole is just a super dense neutron star. And And how did I come up with that idea? Well, if you look at supernovas when they explode, What's left behind? If it's a really big star, when you blow off the atmosphere, you see what created the star in the first place. Either it's a black hole or it's a neutron star in every case. My theory says that the explosion did not cause the black hole or did not create the black hole, the neutron star. They were already there. What that explosion did was, as stars get older, they 
burn through the elements, you know, hydrogen becomes helium, helium becomes the next element. And every time that happens, that star burns hotter. The, the, more, the, the more denser the element, the fusion process, the more energy gets put out. At some certain point, that output is so great, the gravitational pull of that black hole or that neutron star is no longer strong enough to hold the atmosphere in and sustain the fusion process. The fusion process becomes so intense that it blows away the atmosphere and you see the truth of what that star was made of and where it was born from. That original core grabbed hydrogen gas, swirled it around it so it obtained motion and became the star. So that's the cosmic egg, the giant black hole that you're talking of, I do not believe is an infinite singularity thing. It's really huge. You've got an event horizon that's light years across. And all that matter and energy that makes up the universe is stored compactly into a neutronium sphere, rapidly spinning with an intentionally hot trillions of degrees core because the pressure is enormous down there. And the electromagnetic fields, the quarks that make up the neutron, are actually so close together, they're putting off photons, heat energy, in the core. And when it gets strong enough, that outward pressure uh, disrupts the gravitational field it breaks down and then the whole thing comes apart and blows apart all over again and this keeps happening collapse expand collapse expand now you have a universe that was started created by the father originally and now becomes eternal this universe it may die and re be reborn infinite amounts of times it's just never gonna there's no stopping it now it's just lives on forever creating new worlds new star systems new galaxy they live so many hundreds of billions of years and eventually this all collapses back in when you get that critical mass that's needed to create the explosion it just happens all over again naturally without any intervention from anyone that's my theory and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I was on the method of thinking for a while that maybe it was theoretically possible that with a black hole, it would theoretically suck everything in. And once everything's sucked in, then it becomes the negative and it just is this continuous reverse back and forth. And that might be that's where the expansion. Not, and That's not unlike a lot of physicists talk about with the white hole thing. Uh, it's not this. See, I don't believe it's just this sucking into it compression till it's all of the mass is just a little tiny point because in reality these black holes they have different sizes like the one that's inside of our galaxy at the center of our galaxy we know it has a certain size because the stars that are real close to it are orbiting it so it has, uh, you can calculate their orbits and you can tell where the thing is, even though there's no gases around it to, to, to glow and tip us off as to the actual size. We know it 
has a certain size and mass, which is literally hundreds of thousands of uh, solar masses in size. Um, but it's not a little tiny dot. It's, it's big, you know. Uh, and, and we ha- do, I have seen a picture of a black hole and there's gases around it. So it's irradiated. So you can actually see the basic size of it. It's not a boing. It's, you know, like bigger than the sun. So the event horizon grows as more mass is accumulated into it. So it's going out. So that means the surface is going, the real surface that's under the event horizon is growing along with it. So the whole idea of the in and out thing, the negative pot, I don't think that's correct. I'm not, I'm not going to go with that until until I see, until I see white holes. (laughs) Uh, And the, the closest thing we have to white holes are pulsars, but, that's they're uh, even though they're at a great distance, they've left enough clues that we we understand them pretty well, and they're the best evidence I have for stellar converters that are naturally formed that are out there. We know for sure pulsars, which you know could be galactic in size. You know they're shooting out these tremendous beams of energy from the poles like I said, and they probably are neutrons, and they probably are, well, we know for sure they're polarized. Why is that important? They're polarized means that there's an intense magnetic field that's causing this black hole or whatever it is that's super dense uh, to emit particles. You know, particles don't normally emit particles, but like I said, if you drop a magnetic magnetic field in toward the poles, and when it touches the surface of the black hole, particle beam is going to be emitted, just like we see in quasars. So there are natural stellar converters that exist, or it's a, it's it's perhaps a super advanced uh, team of uh, aliens that have created. A stellar converter that they're taking a black hole and emptying it of all its neutronium, which will come out of the the north and south pole within 15 minutes, convert to hydrogen, and if they steer it toward another uh, neutronium sphere, they could build another star. That's why I call it the stellar converter. You could actually use that process to build stars assuming you have some nearby neutronium spheres that are out there, neutron stars that don't have any uh, hydrogen. You give them, you feed them hydrogen, the hydrogen will wrap around it and form an atmosphere. And the more that shows up there, the more they compress they are, it'll start to glow. And if it gets, if you feed it enough hydrogen, it'll, it'll burn that hydrogen, it'll fuse it. For billions of years and you'll have a star and uh, whatever those things are those those quasars they're immensely powerful immensely big and somehow there's an immensely powerful 
uh, magnetic field that's di dipping into the poles and steering these particles down. Just so happens to match my theory. <laughs> I think you're onto something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess with that, it's getting close to two hours, and I would absolutely love to have you back on again because this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation, and I feel like you shined a light you shined light onto a lot of topics that people may not have really had much of an understanding of, and put them in words that people can understand, like you were trying to do as far as your book and everything goes. And uh, mm -hmm. before we end up getting into telling everybody where they can find your book and where they can come and find you at, I always like to uh, close out with words of wisdom. So if there was any words of wisdom you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what might it be? Yeah, I can tell you this one right off the bat. I said it earlier tonight and I'll say it again. Love one another. Believe, know for sure there's an afterlife. Take comfort in that. There is a God. There is a Jesus there is a beautiful afterlife waiting for you someday when your life's work is over. Embrace your life, find your life's calling, and do it. And uh, love one another, and you're going to have a happy life. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do. It's been a long road to get here. I had a lot of suffering along the way. And um, it's taken a while to realize all these things, but now I'm trying to practice doing that one commandment love one another ain't that the truth and i feel like it does take suffering to really understand the true meaning of love so you know there there is going to be a back yeah. and forth but it's needed to really get to the root principle of it and to really appreciate and love everybody around you you have to see the hard times first of course key word is appreciation yeah be thankful be grateful talk to god say prayers that's you know, just at night. That's what I do. I have a conversation. They hear everything you think. They see everything you do. There are no secrets. And so keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, you know, by the way, if you want to get my book or, or know more, I have a blog on my website. And I have a, um, a YouTube page. You can come there and see some of my shows some some of the people have allowed me to upload it and uh put it on my website so i have a backup copy uh of uh, my shows that i've done um it's at www.super-relativity.com super-relativity.com and uh, you can links to my book on the front page you can buy the book there or you can buy the book on Amazon and um, visit my blog some of my writing is about some of the things we talked about tonight uh, and if you register you'll have a chance at getting the newsletter which I don't put out that often only when I make a breakthrough or something do I put out a newsletter uh, and uh, you want to keep abreast because there's some big things about to happen within the next few months. So you might want to keep in touch with that. Highly recommend it. And of course, um, I will include all of your links in the show description to make it quick and easy for everybody to come and find it. And again, I really appreciate you making the time to come on today. And I'm really looking forward to the next time we get to dive into some of this stuff and figuring out even more of what you end up diving into and discovering. Sounds great. 
If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, and if you guys give the show a five-star review, I will read it on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, re- don't forget to report your encounters to the Open Minds Media Encounter Report email, which is OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form for that, and that will go directly to my email. And if you want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can email me at increaseofallrealitypodcast.outlook.com or go to the link tree. And there is also a submission form for that too. Two separate submission forms. So make sure you guys go to the correct one that you guys are uh, intending to be looking for. And you guys can also get a hold of me, of course, through social media. You guys can do so through Instagram, which is the one I'm the most active on, or Facebook. Of course, that's also definitely a viable option too. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the show and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.